<laughs> there we go. I'm no longer off. All right, would you do me a favor? Take out your worship bulletin. I want to go over a couple of quick announcements and make sure that you're aware of some things. First of all, Hope Fest is today. I know uh, a lot of people are looking forward to that. I believe it starts at 5 o'clock. Is that correct? Yeah, 5 o'clock in the downtown area. They close down the streets. If you can come out to that, there's a lot of good artists there. Um, and it's amazing how many people come out to that. So I hope you come out and be a part of that. Church board, we are going to be meeting next Saturday at 9 a.m. If you're on the board, make sure that you're here next Saturday at 9 a.m. Um, I also, I need a list of teachers because if there's anybody in the schools, we'll, we'll ask Jody and them, but um, we want to really pray for the teachers and, and our school system as everybody gets ready to go back. So if you have a list of teachers or if you have family members that are teachers and want to submit those to myself or Dawn, I would really appreciate that because we want to we want to send them cards. I'd love to have those cards available at the board meeting. That way, the board can sign them and just let them know that we're we're praying for them. Um, if we can get that, maybe we can get the board to sign them and then fill in the names afterwards and then get the names. But uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, so if you can help us out with that, I would really appreciate it. Um, also, to Ismod and Franz. Uh, I contacted them. We're, we're using Google Translate, and if um, uh, because we we don't I don't speak Haitian Creole, and they have our time with with English. But they live just down the road here, all right. And um, I asked them, you know, what do you guys need? What can you help with? All right. So we know the issue that their kids still live in Haiti. There's civil unrest there. They just experienced an earthquake there. There's a lot of things. They have family members that are here. One family member is not able to work because they don't have their work visa, and so they're trying to figure out how that person can make money to send money back home to their kids. There's a lot of different situations going on with that, but um, I just got an email from her, like I said, through Google Translate, and they need a bed, they need a chair, they need a couch. It sounds like they really need our help. So I'm hoping that we can step up with that and help provide um, those things. So would you be praying about that and see what the Lord leads on your heart? If you have any of those furniture items, if you'd like to donate money towards that, we would really uh, appreciate that. All right. Last but not least, we've got a baptism service coming up August 29th. August 29th, we're going to be doing it at Holiday Lakes and uh, at 6 p.m. So it'll be an evening. We'll probably bring some food and, and have some food there as well. But I'm excited for this. This is going to be like our first baptism service since we've been back, and um, I'm looking forward to that. If you do not know what baptism is, uh, or if you're not familiar with that, if, if I could simplify it and express it like in one word, it's identification. It's, it's all about identification. Baptism is about personally and publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. You are making that declaration. Romans 6, 3, and 4. Romans 6, 3, and 4. Let me turn there real quick. It says this. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what baptism is about. It's about identifying with Christ's death, with his burial, and with being born again. We're we're equating ourselves with that. We're joining in with that. There's nothing magical about baptism. We are saved by grace through grace alone, right? But baptism is an outward sign that we, we make a declaration that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm turning from my old life, and I am embracing this new way of living. That's what baptism is. So we'd like to have a class after church next Sunday and talk to anybody that is interested in being baptized and go through that. Um, and uh, I wasn't going to tell you the coolest thing about baptism, but I'm going to save it for that class and, and maybe share it later. So if you're interested in being baptized, make sure you see me and talk to me, and we'll go from there. All right? All right, let's stand. Lord, we just thank you for today. Lord, we give you all praise and honor. Father, I pray that you would help us to turn our attentions completely to you. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and you alone. Lord, I know there's, there's heavy things going on in here. Father, I pray that we'd be able to entrust them to you, trust you enough to lay them down at your feet and give them to you. Lord, I pray that the peace that, that only comes from you would be upon us, Lord. Lord, as a church, I pray that you would raise us up to be light, to be salt in this world. Father, give us opportunities to share your good news. Give us opportunities to share the grace that's been given to us. Lord, let us glorify you in all that we do. Father, we pray for every other church that has that same mission, Lord, that is devoted to you, that looks to you alone for salvation. We pray that you would bless them as well. Lord, we pray for this concert that's here today. Lord, we've seen people come to you through it, and we pray that that would happen as well. Father, we pray that while we're there, we'd have opportunities to talk to people about you and share your grace. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. You have right of way of this service. Do as you wish, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. I see, Lord, all that.
been for you guys this week? Anybody feel a little battered? Yeah? Somebody was telling me that uh, they called they called them, they felt like the devil was calling them a scumbag, right? And uh, the same person was talking about how somebody was criticizing them. That same person was telling me how there, somebody was criticizing me, right? Uh, 
Did we think anything else would happen when we started talking about the devil and his schemes, right? You know, uh, I'm surprised there's this many people here today because I thought it would just be kind of the devil would just get after people, but praise God, right? I told that person, praise God, because if the enemy is attacking you, you must be a threat. You must be doing something right. So if you're being attacked, remember you have a church family right? Reach out to them. You know, as the prayer, rest, prayer request started coming in this week, I was like, oh man, oh man, oh man, you know? But that just reminds me, we're at, we're at war. That's what we were reminded about last week. We are at war. There is an enemy that hates us, that wants to destroy us, right? But there's a job for us to do, an amazing responsibility and privilege that we have in Christ. And let's not forget that. Let's join in this battle, right? Let's join in this battle. Today is kind of like the Empire Strikes Back. Anybody watch Star Wars? Okay, the Empire Strikes Back was kind of like a depressing episode, right? You know, just uh, they had that cliffhanger, that twist at the end with, with uh, Luke and, and Darth Vader, but um, just kind of a, uh, I don't know, just kind of, and I kind of feel like that's the sermon today. Um, but I want us to realize the battle that we're in I want us to be reminded of us, and I want us to understand it. So that's what we're going to be looking at today in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, if you turn in your Bibles to there. Last week, we got a glimpse into the heavenly war. Revelation 12, right? The war in heaven between uh, God, between the devil, who is called Satan, who is described as a dragon. Uh, we saw a woman who represents Mary and the church there. We saw the God's angels in there. And we saw in this passage that the dragon was defeated three times. The dragon was defeated three times. He tries to stop the birth of Christ, right? He's there to devour, waiting for the woman to give birth so that he can devour the child. And we know that's a picture of Christmas, right? A different look at Christmas, but he fails in that. He takes on Michael and his angels, and he fails in that, and he's cast down to this earth where he starts a war against the church, right? And he fails in that as well. And we talked about how the enemy, the devil, is not a good loser. And in, in chapter 12, verse 12, it says, he, Satan, is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And then in verse 17 it says, And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. That's us, right? Those are, those are believers today. So we are at war with Satan. And last week we talked about his schemes, the things that he uses. And somebody said, man, I'm so glad you did that because that's exactly what's happening to me, Right? We have to know his plans. We have to know his schemes so that we can recognize them so that we're not outwitted. That's what Paul tells us. All right, so that's last week. This week, the battle shifts to earth, all right? And the dragon calls in two beasts to wage war against the church, to wage war against believers. That's what we're going to be looking at in Revelation 13. A.W. Tozer said this, The world is not a playground, but a battlefield. We're not here to frolic. We're here to fight. That is extremely important for us to realize because I don't know if a lot of Christians really understand that. 
I don't know if we understand or realize that we are in a war, then, you know, if we don't, the enemy has an advantage, right? No, we're we're made aware of that. We see the results of the war all around us. We feel that war inside of us, how the enemy attacks us, right? But we're reminded that the enemy is defeated, right? The lamb through the blood of the Lamb, right? The enemy is defeated, and, and we have to take and find great hope in that. That's what we have to, to look at. All right, so it's time for all of us to join in the battle. Last week, wake-up call. Here's the enemy. Here's what he does. This week, we have to learn. We, we learn how he wages war here on earth, how the war is waged here on earth, and what our response needs to be. Next week, All right, I'm excited because next week we talk about the lamb and we get to hear some cool things and how we really fight the enemy. So don't miss next week, all right? Um, Just in case there's somebody new here today, all right, we don't really believe that we're fighting a dragon, right? All right, this is just symbolism for the enemy. This is just what Revelation does. Sometimes I, I worry about if somebody new comes and they're hearing about us and they're like, do they really think they're fighting a dragon? No, we don't really think we're fighting a dragon. It's just a symbol that represents the enemy. We do believe that we fight an enemy, though. Right? All right. So, Revelation 13. Would you stand in honor of God's word for this reading? The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast beast on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given more power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. 
The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is 666. Let's pray. Father, we we give you all praise and honor today. Lord, we look at two beasts that are coming to wage war on this earth, and we know we're in the middle of that. But Father, we are reminded that you are victorious, that you conquered them all. Lord, they are subject to you. Their authority only is granted temporarily. Lord, but in the end, we remember that you reign and that you call us to reign with you. Father, we give you all praise. Lord, we give you all praise for dying on a cross so that we could have our relationship with you restored. Father, praise be. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so the earthly battle begins here. It still rages today, right? We are not directly at war with the dragon or Satan, but we're at war with the two beasts that come up. One from the sea, one from the earth. Notice that they are from this world, all right? They do not, they do not come from the heavenly realm. They come from this world. The dragon is not God, and he cannot create, right? And instead, he needs to use his influence and twist God's creation, that's what we see him doing time and time again. Whatever God creates, look at marriage. Whatever God institutes, he twists it. He corrupts it, right? And that's what we're seeing here today. The beast along with the dragon form this unholy trinity that mimics and mocks the actual triune God of the universe. What's its desire? Its desire is to take worship away from the one true God that deserves it to anything to themselves to anything else except for God that's its goal all right beast number one beast number one comes up out of the sea this beast looks a lot like the combination of the four beasts that come out uh, in the book of Daniel if you if you read your Old Testament this probably sounded familiar to you Daniel chapter 7 the beasts in, in that that are mentioned there seem very similar to these. Now, the beasts in Daniel chapter 7 represent the nations that ruled over the earth. Babylon, Persia, Medes, the Greeks. Likewise, the beast that's mentioned here in Revelation represents the nations that rule over the known world. It represents government. It represents the state. How does the dragon wage war against Christians? It uses one-way governments in the states. Specifically, governments that reject God, right? Governments that do not, do not place themselves under the center or under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Those are the governments that are able to be influenced by the enemy. An example at the time of when this was written by John would be Rome. Right? We talked about in week one the immense persecution that Christians faced by Rome. Right? 
They wanted people to worship Roman gods. They wanted people to worship Caesar. They, they made temples dedicated to the worship of Caesar. And when Christians refused to bow down, when Christians refused to worship them, then Rome went to war against the believers. When a nation sets out and rejects God, they become something that Satan can influence, something that Satan can use. It might not look like that right of way, but that's the direction that those nations head. You see this in a lot of communist countries, right? Communist countries declared God dead. They kicked God out of their countries. They became atheistic in their nature. They embraced that. They fought to remove Christians. They, they put them in jail. They killed them, right? And so the people were forced to turn their hope, to turn their their their. their reliance upon government, their hope for salvation. In this passage, the beast, government is worshipped. We see that, right? Now, the, the beast, the people don't actually bow down and worship government, right? No, it doesn't look like that. But whoever you turn to for hope, whoever you turn to for sustenance is who you worship. Whoever you turn to for meaning, whoever you turn to for fulfillment, that's who you worship. We put our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, right? That's who we turn to for hope. That's who we turn to to sustain us. He is the bread of life, right? Other people, they're told by their countries there is no God. God is dead. Depend on the state. Put your hope and faith in government. Revelation describes exactly what is going on, exactly what we see. Every day, Christians are killed for their faith. Every day, they are unjustly put into prison. Every day, they are kidnapped. The number one country today in our time period for the persecution of Christians is North Korea. You look at China. You look at Russia in the past. Very antagonistic against Christians, all countries that deny God, right, and seek to kick God out, all countries that have persecuted the church, they've, they've killed, they've imprisoned believers. Side note, these are the countries where the gospel is growing the fastest. Amen? Right? Yeah, we, we look at these and we say, poor these countries, oh man, but Christianity is flourishing in the face of persecution because these people realize they're at war and they fully rely on Christ. America at its start recognized God, right? We held God at the center of what we did, at the center of our ideology. We, we believed that people had rights given to them by God and we recognized those rights, Right? The most quoted book for our Constitution is the Bible. If you read any of the charters of the 13 colonies, you will see Jesus Christ specifically mentioned in all of those. Read the Bill of Rights. Look at the Constitution. Read about all the prayer services that happened at the Capitol. Right? Read about all the Supreme Court justices and what they thought at the beginning of America. But what direction are we moving today. God, get out of here, right? We don't want God here. We're pushing God out more and more, and as we do that, 
Who do we become more and more hostile towards? Christians. Believers. Right? Look at Canada. You can be thrown in jail for quoting Scripture right now. It's happening. Here you can lose your job. You can lose your business. You can be sued by the state for your biblical conditions. You're not going to be put to death. But it's starting. We're moving in that direction. Back almost 10 years ago, I, I was amazed because I saw this group of believers and this group that was opposed to them. And while the believers were singing Amazing Grace, the, the other group was singing Hail Satan. Literally, Hail Satan. Make no, mistake, make no mistake, there is a war. There is a war here today. The Caesars wanted to be worshipped as God. They thought of themselves as God. Politicians today are moving in that same direction. Now, they won't say, worship me as a God, right? But many say, we get to decide what's right and wrong. We know what's best. That's God. God is the one who decides what's right and wrong. And anyone who puts themselves in the place of God is setting themselves up to be God. They determine what's right or wrong. They play God. Politicians think that they know better. Some, not all, right? There's some good politicians out there. Politicians think, though, the rules don't apply to them. They are above what responsibilities normal man has in our country, right? They don't have to follow those rules. They, they're elevating themselves above other men. It's a sign of playing God. Power that is not under God's authority gets corrupted fast. We see many people enter the political realm with, with good ideals, good intentions, right? And we see that power corrupt them. Look how much money our government is throwing at people. Are people becoming more and more dependent on our, gov our government right now? Right? Are people going to put their hope in government? Government will take care of us. Government will solve our problems. It's our hope. We are being groomed to worship government. And it's all right here in Revelation. Make no mistake. We see the passage that one of the heads of the beast takes a moral wound but comes back from this. I always thought this was a, a person, but really this is a country or a union of countries. I'm not sure which one it is. All right, I wish I had a really good answer. There are a lot of interesting theories. It's Rome, it's Germany. You know, when Germany fought the First World War and was defeated, and then it came back and fought World War II, and look at all the atrocities that were done. I don't know. Some people say this is the U.S. Some people say this is the European, European Union. It really doesn't matter. It's really not important. Don't get caught up in trying to figure that out. Just realize that the enemy uses government to wage war on man. Government that rejects God at its head. Our founding fathers literally said that unless we were run by a Christian people, our government would fail. It's not designed to work unless run by moral people. And unfortunately, that's not what, that's not what hap is happening today. Beast number one. Are states that deny Christ and seek to be worshipped. Beast number two, the beast out of the earth. All right, and from scriptures we see that this beast made the people worship the first beast. So this beast gets or seeks to get people to trust and worship the state. 
and from under God, out from under God. This, this beast makes it, makes it very difficult for people that don't bow down to the first beast. He can kill them, right? He can make it so that you need a mark on your hand or your forehead in order to do business in the world. In Revelation 16, 19, and 20, this beast is called the false prophet. So beast number one was a dragon-manipulated political power. Beast number two is dragon-manipulated religious power. True prophets lead people to the worship of the one true living God. False prophets lead people to worship anything but the one true living God. Put your hope into these governments or into these man-made religions. Often, these religions are tied to the state. They are one. Look at in the Middle East with Islam. right? That's what we see time and time again. Now there's two fronts, two major fronts that I see in this battle with this fight. The obvious front are, are with other religions that seem to literally make war against Christians, radical Islam being one of them, nations in Africa and the Middle East where they are putting to death Christians and believers. They call people to literally reject Christ and embrace Allah, right, as God. And if they don't, they slit their throats, they light them on fire, they kidnap them, they take machetes to people, or they have everything that's taken away from them and they can't do business. It's interesting if you look at the history of Islam. Muhammad studies Christianity and rejects, away, rejects it, moves away from it. He believes that the angel Gabriel gives him, visits him, and gives him revelations of the truth. Well, I guarantee you he was visited by an angel. I guarantee you that was not Gabriel, but that was the angel known as the dragon, right? And as a result, Islam is born. It has a slow start. This frustrates Muhammad, and so he changes his tactic. He starts to kill people. He kills a group of Jewish people, and then he forces people to, to convert by the sword. He forces people to worship Allah. And today there is a war on Jews and Christians, infidels, that rages on exactly what we see symbolized here in Revelation. Not only are there demonically inspired religions that wage war, but we also have demonically inspired, inspired false teaching. False teaching creates a man-made false Christianity, an American Jesus. And we have to be very careful of that today, right? Every time that we say, well, the Bible says this, but I really think that God means this, that is false teaching. Mormons believe Joseph Smith received a hundred special revelations. The majority of these revelations were said to come straight from Jesus Christ, but they, te they contradict the teachings of Jesus Christ. So they cannot be from him. We know who they're from. They're from the dragon. I believe he got a revelation, but I know it wasn't from Jesus. Now we have translated the Mormon Bible and the Book of Mormon. The Mormon church sets up a living prophet to be in charge of the church. The current living prophet can any overturn any teaching of a previous living prophet, including that of Joseph Smith. In the, in the scheme of the Mormon church, the living prophet's teaching is above the Bible, is above the Book of Mormon. One man's teaching. 
is above the Word of God. My friends, nothing is above the Word of God. It has to be our standard, our truth. Our Bible teaches in Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. If anything goes against the Word of God, it is false teaching, and we must reject it. Right? False teaching, false Christianity is dangerous and demonic. It leads people to worship false gods or some man-made-up Jesus. In the, in the Mormon doctrine, it teaches that God was once man. God started off as man, and it also teaches that man can become God. What's it doing? It's trying to take worship for the one true living God and place it on man. The enemy will try to use anything to get us to worship anything or anyone besides the one true God. That is his scheme. All right. One of the most popular things to talk about probably in Christianity today is the mark of the beast, also known as the number 666. I want us to think of this as more of a symbol than a code to be cracked, all right? Six is less than seven. You're welcome. <laughs> I did that all, all that math in my head so that you wouldn't have to figure that out, right? Seven is the number of completeness. No, perfection, completeness. Six is not seven, so therefore it is incomplete. Now, we have three sixes, right? Three is also the number of completeness. We say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Completely perfect in holiness. All right? So three sixes would represent completely incomplete. That's, that's the best the dragon has to offer. That's the best he has to offer. Something that is completely incomplete. Something that will never satisfy the longing of your soul. That's all he has to offer. Now, are we talking tattoo, barcode, microchip, vaccine shot? What are we referring to? All right. I'll talk about that here in a minute. Why is there a significance between the hand and the forehead? I don't know if you know what the Shema is, but the Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 4. God is teaching the Jewish people things to observe so that they will be blessed, so that their children will be blessed. You probably remember this part, but they were to teach the commandments, to, to impress them on their hearts. They were, they were to impress them on their children, right? God's people were to talk about them. Talk about them when they went on a walk. Talk about them when they woke up. Talk about them when they went to bed. They were to think about these things, right? And verse 8 says this, Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. The, significant of the, the significance of the hands and the head is about ideology and action. Ideology and action. Are the commands of God what I believe? Are they what form my ideology? And then, is that what guides my hands? Is that what guides my actions? Are the commands of God what I strive to live out. Similarly, am I living with the mark of the beast on my life? That's me rejecting the commands of God, not having that ideology, right? Instead, doing what I think is right and not what God's word is right. 
That's us not being serious of, about God. That's us compromising in our beliefs and embracing the beast and what he stands for. The mark of the beast does not represent one thing. In Rome, there was the mark of the beast, right? The Christians that were written to in the book of Revelation, they had to bow down and worship Caesar. When they did that, right, they took some of that incense, they took some of that ashes, and they put it on their forehead, their forehead or on their wrists. And if they did that, then they were allowed to buy and sell in the marketplace. If they would not bow down to Caesar, if they would not put that acknowledgement on their head and their hands, then they couldn't buy it. That was the mark of the beast to the Christians that this was written to. And that mark continues today in different forms. What do, you, what do Americans sell their soul for? monetarily, right? What do they give up the commands of God in order to obtain? People have chips planted. Is it chips implanted? Is that the sign of the beast? Is that the mark of the beast? I'd say no, right? No, because you do not have to give up the commandments of God. You do not have to deny Christ in order to take it. That's the key. If government gets to the place where you have to deny Christ in order to buy and sell, whatever that is, that will be the mark of the beast. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are being forced with exactly this. They have people that say, deny Christ or we'll take your home away from you. Deny Christ or we'll take your kids away from you. Deny Christ or we'll kill you. If they deny Christ in order to keep those things, they are taking the mark of the beast. The question that you need to consider is, will you deny Christ for whatever that is? You, you deny Christ for anything, you're really taking the mark of the beast. When we're faced with that, here's what I, I hope that we remember. Whatever you take the mark of the beast for, 666, it's completely incomplete. You have to remember that. It's completely incomplete. You may think that you're saving your life, but you'll really be losing your life. You may think that you're getting ahead, that you're getting what you truly desire, what you truly need, but it will be completely incomplete. It will not satisfy your soul. It will leave you empty. It will not save you. It's completely incomplete when compared to the richness of knowing Christ, even if that means death. So what's our response to the deception? What's our response to the persecution from these two beasts to be? Verse 9, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is a, a reference to Jeremiah. He's referencing Jeremiah in a way that we are not to fight as the beasts fight. We are not to use the weapons that the beast uses. Right? Do you remember how 
the church overcame the state of Rome. That you remember when they went to battle with the sword against Rome? Right? No, they didn't do that. They overcame Rome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, about by not loving their life too much. It's the same with us. We, we are not called to fight. We're going to look at this next week because it's not the lion of the tribe of Judah that defeats sin and death. It's the lamb. It's the slain lamb. This is similar to when Jesus told Peter, hey, put away your sword, right? That's not how we fight this battle, Peter. Does that mean we aren't going to fight? No, we're going to fight, but we're not going to fight like other people think we should fight, how we're tempted to fight. Like I said, we'll talk about that next week. In the face of persecution, we're called to patient endurance and faithfulness. In order to understand this, we really need to go back to the church that this was initially written to. They're facing persecution, immense persecution. And they were becoming spiritually lethargic. They started to compromise. And they began to to be open to worshiping other gods and other things. Who wouldn't be in a similar situation, though? Compromise, if it means saving my life or my family's life, may look pretty appealing to me. We like to say, oh, in the face of persecution, we'll stand strong. That's a difficult thing when they have your family and they're ready to kill them. I pray we stand strong, right? That's what we're called to in this passage that we just read. But it's, if, you're, if you're about to be dipped in wax and oil and lit on fire, I think only by the grace of God will we stand strong. That's what we're called to. Some, some Christians took this route where they said, we'll just pretend to deny Christ. We'll say it. We'll go through the motions, but we won't really mean it in our hearts. That was the Nicolaitans, right? That that is in early Revelation, Jesus couldn't stand those people. Now we have to stand strong. We have to be faithful, especially in the response to these things. How do we do it? How do we do it? Isn't that the question, right? How do we patiently endure persecution? It comes down to this. It takes having the right perspective, a different perspective, God's perspective, on eternity. That's the key, right? And that's exactly what we're given in this book. We're given the hope. We know how the story ends. We know how it turns out if we'll still if we stay faithful to it. Right? The dragon doesn't win. The beasts don't win. Rome didn't win. Islam won't win, right? Christ stands victorious over all and he invites us to a new earth, a new earth with no more sickness. No more death, no more disease, no more tears. For eternity, for eternity. The Bible says some of you will go to prison. That may happen. Is prison in this life worth avoiding the pit of hell? Yes. Would you really want to trade freedom in this life for eternal damnation in the next? No way. We have to have an eternal perspective, and that's what we're given. We're called to persevere patiently. We're called to remain faithful. 
Jesus warned his disciples that they would be handed over and persecuted, right, and put to death. They'd be hated by all nations. That is what he told them in Matthew 24, 9. It's the same for us. He even says to his followers, hey, count the cost. Before you make this commitment to Christ, count the cost. See if you're really prepared to go through this. We don't have to really worry about that in America, right? But if you accept Christ in the Middle East in a nation that hates Christians, count the cost, right? We still have to count the cost today because there's still a war raging here. We may not see it, but there's still a war raging. What does patience and faithfulness demonstrate? When it really comes down to it, it demonstrates that you truly believe. You truly believe what the God of the universe told us and tells us, right? You truly trust God with your life. That's what it shows. How many times have you seen somebody riding high in love with Jesus Christ, right, praising him, and then something happens in their life, and all of a sudden they're gone. They completely reject Christ, and you never see him again. They get mad at God, and they turn away. My friends, we need patient endurance. We need to tell people, hey, you're in a war. There's going to be moments you might be put in prison. You might be put to death, right? But we have the hope of eternity. No matter what happens, no matter what they do to us, we have to have that commitment. And I think that commitment comes from an eternal perspective. We've got to be prepared for that. Matthew 5.11, last passage. Blessed. What's the word? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you. And it says, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. It's nothing you knew, the persecution, right? As persecution ramps up, it's nothing new. Will you remember this passage? Blessed are you when people persecute you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Check this out. You are the salt of the earth. You if you claim Christ, right, if you live for Christ, you're the salt of the earth. Listen to this, though. But if the salt loses its savor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. God forbid. God forbid we lose our saltiness. God forbid we shrink away. Right? God forbid. I don't want to be good for nothing. I don't want to be good for just being thrown out and trampled by men. I don't want to back down. We're called to fight. 
We're called to patiently endure, faithfully, no matter what the enemy throws at us. That's what we're called to do. Next week, we'll talk more about the fight and how we fight the enemy. Would you stand with me? What's happening in your life right now? What are you facing? Can I remind you that you are called to patiently endure? There's a, there's a war going on. Adrenaline is great in a war, right? I'm sure it is. I've never been in a war. I play Call of Duty. That's about it, right? But what I hear is endurance is where it's at. Perseverance. That's what we're called to. This is a long war. This, long, this war will go on until he comes back, right? We're called to endure faithfully, no matter what. No matter if they throw us in jail. No matter if they put us to death. I'd rather have my family put to death than spend eternity in hell. I'd rather encourage you to stand than see you fall and lose your saltiness. Right? We need eternal perspective. We need, we need to see it from God's point of view. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, help us to be strong. Lord, help us to, to patiently endure. Help us to be faithful in, in no matter what comes against us. Lord, give us the right perspective to understand what's truly at stake. Help us to live for you, no matter what the cost. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in here contemplating whether or not they want to follow you, that they would understand what it's going to cost. But Father, will you remind them what's available to them? Your grace, your love, eternity with you. Lord, we give you all praise. Father, we wait for the day when you come again and set things right. Lord, until that day comes, Father, help us to be about building your kingdom, about sharing the good news with those that don't know you. Give us opportunities. As Doug said, do not let us shrink back. Do not let us not be bold. Raise us up. Give us opportunities, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.